Hour number two, Canuck Central in the Kintech Studios. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We are uh, continuing to look forward to uh, what the Canucks might do in the next little bit here. But if you missed hour one of the show, we went through what could be the big surprise they have in store for us. Plus, Irfan Gaffar sharing some of his thoughts and what he's hearing on the Canucks plans for this free agency period and what they might do to add to the team now that they've opened up some cap space. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's how you get in touch with the show. And and one thing Earth mentioned, Sat, that um, we didn't really break down all that much. You know, we've heard about Carson Soucy. We've heard about and talked about Ivan Barbashev as free agent targets. Ryan Graves... Irv mentioned Ryan Graves as somebody that is likely on the Canucks wish list if they can make it work. And I get it. It seems like it's going to be quite expensive for Ryan Graves. And one thing that I'm generally wary about is paying for stay-at-home defenseman in free agency. Yeah, I mean, there's a price cap for it, right? Now, I, I think we also have to kind of um, shift how we view these players, the, necess- the necessity for these players, and the realities of how much it costs for some of these players. But you're right. There is a price you can't go over. And as we were mentioning a bit earlier, I think playing, paying something around $4 million per year upwards of 4.5 or even 4.6 or so, even even if you're really pushing it, 4.75. I think that can be acceptable yep. for defensive D-men who don't provide a lot of offense. Now, Ryan Graves gives you more than just a little bit of baseline offense. Like, he can give you 25 points, perhaps even 30 points. You know, he has a little bit of uh, more pop to his game than some of these other guys that are, you know, your traditional stay-at-home defensemen. But you're still talking about a guy who is getting paid to be on your PK and be your defensive guy, right? When you start paying over $5 million for that, I get a little bit yep. squeamish about mm-hmm. it just because the offense isn't going to be allowed to flourish, especially with the role he's going to be asked to play behind not only a player like Quinn Hughes, but also next to potentially a player like Philip Hironek. So it's he's going to have to really maybe sacrifice even more. And he'll pick up some points here and there, but in terms of doing certain things with his game. So I think the price would have to be a bit lower. And I am leery about giving too much term to players like that as well. Bigger defensemen, defensive defensemen, a couple of injuries happen. Where are you at in two years and three years? So for me, the price would have to be below. F- I think I'd be willing to do like 4.5 times four. Yeah. Maybe five, but that's kind of the max. And are you going to win out in this free agent market when where Ryan Graves is number two behind Dmitry Orlov for lefty defenseman on the trade market. I mean, yeah. on the free agent market. And when it comes to free agency, you know, do you have to pay a little bit of a Canadian tax, you know, pay a little bit more to get that player, something to that effect? I always wonder about those things. Now, he is from Nova Scotia. Yeah. So. Generally, like, <laughs> it's not like Canadian players uh, are... There's enough Canadian players that yeah. prefer to play in the U.S. too. No, it's so. true. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of kidding there. But, I mean, I like Ryan Graves, but I do have some questions about overall some of the things like i have questions about a lot of these players right because they're not surefire bets to make they're good players but you could very easily overpay them ryan graves at that number or carson susie at something max three million dollars 
between two and a half and three is likely where Carson Susi ends up. You know, if you're doing if you're doing Susi at three years at say eight million total, mm-hmm. so just a hair over two point five. Yeah. Okay, I'd probably rather do that, to be honest, than paying five times five or five times six for that type of profile of a player. And what was instructive, however, is that, and we mentioned this a couple times now, but the Canucks were interested in Damon Severson. Mm -hmm. We mentioned it earlier, and we said it's a pipe dream, but little did we know that they had the OEL uh, buyout in their back pocket, and that's why they were interested in a player like him. But he fits a bigger, more assured profile, right? Like a guy that you know as a top four righty defenseman who's a premium position guy, can do a bit of everything for you, and you feel like he's going to be a core piece. And I think they're willing to do that. But you're right. For Ryan Graves, are you willing to... Not pay the same price, but pay half the price you would for a player like Severson. Is it really worth it when you can get maybe a Carson Soucy for a fraction of that cost and maybe, what, 80% of yeah. the same output? I mean, there's there's some guys out there, you know, um, could you just you know, take some more low-cost bets, right? But the thing is, you know, low-cost bets, they're great and they sound great. But they're but, also low cost for a reason, oftentimes. Yes, right, and that's um, that's that's the trouble you you run yourself into, right? If if you're going to take just the the low cost bet, would it be better off to just mm-hmm. hope that Oliver Ekman Larson was going to bounce back to? Some no, level? I see. That's you're right, but I think I think you also have to look at the profile of the low cost bet. Like if you're doing a low cost bet on a player who's a lefty D who kills penalties, like for instance Brian Dumoulin. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Dumoulin's game. Like, I think his game has really regressed the last little bit. He's 32 years old. But for instance, doing a one year, two million on Dumoulin, a guy who's good on the PK, traditionally good defensively, traditionally has struggled a little bit this year. Yeah. But do you bank on that as a low cost bet to see if he balances back? Now, is his profile, does he, does he have a reputation in thin enough market where he gets overpriced, for instance? And perhaps there is that world, and I don't like that. But I, I look at that as being something as a lower cost bet, if you could. But you have to profile the right guy. Yeah. Like, if, if it's a guy who doesn't kill, like, John Klingberg, for instance, makes no sense. He doesn't kill penalties. Yeah. That was a guy that was uh, potentially on their radar last yeah. summer. Would it still be on their radar? That one, somewhat interesting. A player I, I was kind of thinking about, Probably a little too over the hill, but if it is ultra low cost, and I'm saying like under one and a half million bucks, could you look at Dmitry Kulikov? Uh, yeah, as, as kind of a third line, Fair. third third pair. Sure, I think. I mean, defensive that's fine. defenseman. Yeah, I think that's fine. It's not exciting. I don't think it gives you a ton. Yeah, but I mean, sure. I mean, if it's a co- if you're if you're at a situation where you can't get your better players, your higher end guys, you bring yeah. him in instead. You sign him and Susie, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you let them kind of battle it out and Susie may plays on your right side if need be. That stop gaps it for yeah. a year or so. It gives you some options, at least some veteran presence, some ability to do certain things. But it's not a solution. I'm curious if they have, whether it's defense or otherwise, if they have like another Dakota Joshua up their sleeve. I think Somebody so, they've identified that's sort of been overlooked by the rest of the league that they have identified for a certain role on this team. I think there are a few guys like that. And I've been trying to find some of those players, some targets. It's hard to figure out. I mean, <laughs> that scouring. I have been, man. I'm scouring a, the free agent list. I've been, I've been scouring everything trying to find one of these players, right? And I'm like, you know, is it is it even is it even a Kiefer Bedlow's type of player who's been bouncing yeah. around? And I, I don't think that's going to be the case, honestly. Because, like, okay, I, I get it. We We all have a certain amount of reservations to... Canucks management and what they've done in the past and how we look at what they're going to do. And sure, you know, on their wish list might be the top guys in free agency, yeah. like an Ivan Barbashev, 
and a Ryan Graves and a Carson Soucy, but those guys are on other teams' wish lists too, so it just might not be realistic. They've also shown us with guys like Dakota Joshua and even you know how they identified Akito Hirose, like you know they're they're doing more than just looking at the top of the list when they're trying to identify players that might mm-hmm. fit for this team. So I, I'll give them credit for that, and we should give them credit for that. It's not. Uh, there has been some level of development in being able to really scout around the league and have an idea of players that have more value than they've been able to show to this point in their careers. Yeah, and if you feel confident in your development program, and if anything, they probably feel pretty emboldened by what happened in Abbotsford this year. Yeah. And whether it's guys like PDG a bit later who emerged this season, who I know you're a big fan on. but uh, Let's go. But Christian Willannon, too, who they brought in and look at him now as being a guy potentially who could vie for a spot on the on the bottom pair next season as a legitimate option potentially. And I think they're going to probably take a couple of bets like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And I think that's on the lower end. It's, it's trying to figure out, you know, the, the bigger moves, what they're yeah. going to be. And ultimately, I think we'll be surprised by whatever it is they do. And I just wonder, too, and... I see a lot of reaction on this in terms of the types of center they're going to go after. And like Earth mentioned, I kind of think it's just going to have to be via trade. Unless you're going down the comp, the, the, you know, that type of cheaper, the cheaper route or, you know, Achari on a one-year deal or or something along those lines, it may just have to come via trade somewhere. So Garland for third line center X. Yeah, we've had that discussion before, but maybe not even Garland. Yeah. You know, and if you're making a projection... This is where Ross Colton comes in, who can win draws, but hasn't played on the PK as a center, hasn't taken too many P. I don't even know if he's taken a single PK draw in the NHL yet. So you're Which projecting. Which is an underrated statistic. It is. Being it able is. to win a draw on the penalty kill. Yeah. So it's like. So in that sense, you mean more trading an asset like a Nils Hoaglander to acquire. Potentially. A player like, like, like that. Yeah. And. Like, I don't think any of their prospects are untouchable, really. Right. Like, Lakaramaki, perhaps. I wouldn't say untouchable. It's just like, you know, I just don't know if they're... I mean, but, sure, maybe something happens and they're willing to move that. I don't think they're moving the 11th overall pick. But in terms of their prospects and who they have in the system, I think they're pretty open on a lot of different things. Yeah. Like, even put Coles in, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me, for instance. They didn't draft him. They may like him and like a lot of what he does and everything, but... Sad. I kind of think they're they're building like a, a team Russia here in Vancouver. So they want to get rid of one of the Russians. <laughs> yeah. They're going to bring in Barbashev. They're going to keep on Coles, and they're like they're just they're, you know, a third of the roster is going to be Russian. We should yeah. uh, we should get used to that. Um, let's go to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox six fifty six fifty Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber dot com, and a lot of reaction to this uh, grant and surrey what about rathbone in the farm and he's low cost fight he can come for if they don't trade him and i think it's a possibility because there isn't like he the waiver thing starts coming in like you're it's yeah. not a situation we have to make a decision on him but if he's here he's gonna have a chance i think him so i think if you look at uh the lefty options it's Wolanin, it's rathbone it's hirose yeah it's guillaume brisebois Right. Right. So so those four guys are going to be buying for I think the number the number five spot on the blue line or five six spot. So the lefty D on the third pair. I think those guys are gonna be fighting it out for that spot. He's in the mix. Can he beat out one of those guys? And then on the right side, if they get Burroughs and Juleson signed, I can see 
if they if they only bring Susie in, for instance, they don't bring in another righty. Yeah. Because it might be difficult. And you go Myers, Hironic, and then have one of those those see who wins out on the right side. Did they pick up one of the uh, you know, tweener righty guys as free agents this season? And he comes in as well and and vies for a spot. Does Jet Wu get a chance too to maybe maybe crack the roster for the first time right. in his career? Well, they're like, you know, with, with Abbotsford right now on the right side. You know, they probably still need to sign somebody that's more of a pro-ready solution, whether that's keeping Burroughs or, or whatever it might be. Um, you've got Jet Wu. You've got Philip Johansson that's going to be there. And even Cole McWard, who showed pretty well there in those last couple of games of the season. So they've at least you know built out more of a youthful right side that the guys they're trying to develop and see if they end up with something there that could fit down the line. But that's not things you want to go into the season with yeah right like you you want something like if you're being realistic if you're being if you really are living up to your wants of being a playoff team you have to come in with something that's a little bit more steady than hoping a young guy takes that spot yeah and i i do think however like if you are able to get say a legit let's say they make a trade or a move for a legitimate top four player yeah and then they feel like okay now you know you have Hughes you have Heronic you have player x who's a top three guy for instance now all of a sudden like you have two pairs figured out because I think we all kind of know as long as like you can put put Susie with Hughes and they'll be fine yep so I mean you can figure like, Hughes is so easy to figure out you know, I think Susie and Shen are very similar, different handedness, obviously, but I can see some similarities and you just being like, hey, just just do the same thing Shen did. And I think he's capable of doing something along those lines and you can get away with it. So I think if you solve your top four that comprehensively by adding a legitimate guy, I think you can live with your third pair being very sheltered. I think you can. I think you can live with maybe somebody a bit higher quality than Burroughs or Juleson, mm-hmm. perhaps. But maybe even Myers. Let's say you get a righty and you push Myers down there and you put him with one of those guys until you trade him. I think if you get the right top four defenseman, I think you can live with that type of third pair. Um, Chris from Nashville. Do you think Christian Dvorak would be a fit with the Canucks and a cheap get now that Monaghan is re-signed with Montreal? I mean, is he cheap? Probably, uh, you know, it hasn't been a smooth transition to Montreal for Christian Dvorak. Um, is fairly expensive as well That's from what I mean. a salary caps perspective. So even if you get him for cheap, it's yeah. not cheap. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're making a pretty big commitment here. Now it's only two years, but you're still talking about 4.45. For a player that's not been good for about two years now. Um, so it's a big a big sort of commitment if you're going to do that. Um, and how good is he, for instance, on the P? Like, the other thing to keep in mind is, like, any center you're thinking about mm-hmm. for Vancouver, yep. um, you have to look at how they perform on the PK. Now, he does penalty kill a little bit, and he's actually, uh, you know, he's he does win some face-offs on the PK as well. Like, he doesn't take a ton, but he has. So I think if you're looking at him as being your third-line center, there are some projectables there they can look at. But it's still 4.45. Yeah. Can you do it for Garland? Sure. I'd love it. Dvorak almost strikes me a little bit as uh, similar to what Brandon Sutter was in Vancouver. Like Montreal yeah. acquired this player to be their second line center and no, it was not. the wrong projection. He's a third line guy. And he's more of a third line he's center. He's a third line guy. And, and I think it's fine. And I'd be all for if you can. I don't do it by giving anything up. Yeah. But can you do it for a swap with a Garland type or something along those lines? And there's the thing with 
like if you're Montreal, you're probably like, well, if we just wait this out, maybe eventually we get a better asset than just having to take somebody else's bad contract yeah, on to exactly. get rid of this player. All right. So you have to think about it from Montreal's perspective. They're not in any rush to force something that they don't have to. They do need a little bit of cap space. Mm. Montreal does. They do. They don't have a ton of cap space, right? They do have some assets. Are they willing to give you something to take Dvorak? Like, I take Dvorak if they give me a pick. Yeah. And now you've figured out your third-line center, or potentially figured out your third-line center and haven't had to pay anything no. in assets for yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, the guy— Other than the now-available cap space you've made. Yes. And, and I mean, and the guy that I've, uh, that I've, been, that I've liked a lot— that I've wanted is um, Jake Evans. Good like, player. He's a guy that I, like, if I'm trying to pry somebody out, like, I'd be willing to trade, like, a Hoaglander type because Evans has a couple years left and eventually he's going to be, like, if they want to cash in on him, now's the time mm-hmm. to kind of cash in. And, you know, I'd be willing to trade, like, a fourth-round pick or a couple of forts or something like that. Like, are they willing to do that? I don't know. But, like, he's the type of guy I'd be willing to take a bet on by going after the um, the other center that's been connected to this team a lot because they brought him in in Pittsburgh, it's Evan Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Right shot, can play center, does not PK a ton. No. And also, yeah, and and that's the thing with him. And I think they like him, and I think they believe he can PK because he's PK'd in the past. Yeah, he played 36 minutes on the PK this year yeah. in 69 games with the Colorado Avalanche which was, you know, kind of their fifth or sixth forward mm-hmm. in terms of ice time. Yeah. So he, he does it a little bit, but does he do it a ton? Uh, this is the type of thing that you are constantly looking for with the Canucks. And it's it's sort of, okay, at least now, you, you know, you've kind of really gotten to a point with this team where they're really looking for specific roles. So at least they have a lot of their big spots Mm -hmm. figured out. Now, they still do need a couple of big-time pieces to get themselves to a point where they can realistically say they are any level of a contender. But you're at least getting to a point where you only need a couple of those big pieces and then more work around the edges to make that sort of thing happen. But with the way that this team is now constructed and what they're looking for with their available cap space, you guys have listed the priorities. We all know the names. Mm -hmm. It's kind of going back to what we talked about in the first segment. Where's that surprise coming from? Because this team always seems to have an ace up their sleeve. Yeah. And, or this management group seems to have an ace up their sleeve. Yeah. And I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to seeing ultimately what that is, what what that is. And I mean, you know, somebody texts in and says, no way you can start Burroughs and Juleson. They're not, you know, at semi elite level early in the season to stay with the pack and all that. They're not solutions. You're not going to be able to, to create the Stanley cup contending type of team in one off season. Like we were mentioning before, there were four big needs, right? There's a, a big need for a lefty D, a righty D, big need for third line center, and a big need for a impact winger like a Barbashev type that we talked about that they still need on this team. Or so even better, even higher end or whatever. They still need another forward up front to really contend. You can't solve all four of those things. And then you start looking at, okay, what does your third pair look like? But you're also going to have to create an environment where you're going to give guys chances and you got to develop players too. And if you're so like capped out and, and so maxed out on all your slots on your roster, you're never going to have a chance to be able to bring a Willannon along, right? Or bring a Rathbone along because now you're forced to pay 
play your overpaid, you know, lefty D on your third pair, like you would have to with OEL. With him being gone, now you have some options for bringing guys around. And if you do keep your powder dry to some extent and save some assets, you're going to have some opportunities as the season comes on too, to do certain things and, yeah. and maybe make certain moves. So you're not going to be able to, to solve all your issues. You have to go through it and look at it and say, can we create a strong enough team to be able to stay with stay with it? And that means having a top four and, and having you know some depth up front and having a third line center. And if you start doing those things, you start piecing it together. And as you go along, can you add those finishing touches to, to kind of take it to that next level? Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. Keep those texts coming in. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You are listening to Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are um, T-minus eight days until the NHL entry draft. Yes. I mean, we're not counting it down or anything. Uh, next Wednesday, we will be draft central. Yes. And NHL draft coverage is brought to you by the Vancouver Giants, showcasing NHL prospect talents, including Samuel Hanzik and Jaden Lipinski. Come watch NHL talent in action this season. Go to VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. And it should be a really interesting draft. The mm-hmm. Canucks at 11th overall and a lot of people wondering what they'll do with it. Are they uh, focusing on a defenseman at 11? Seems more likely now, after the buyout of Oliver ekman Larson, they will stay in that spot. Team uh, drafting a couple of spots after them, Buffalo Sabres. Well, they are covered by our next guest. It is Mike Harrington covering the Buffalo Sabres at Buffalo News Sports. Thanks for this, Mike. How are you? Good afternoon. Yeah, we're uh, we're getting ready for this trip to Nashville. The draft is always an interesting time, and you know, now finally for the Buffalo Sabres, it's not just the drafting, it's the potential trading that really has me intrigued. Well, I was going to say, considering Buffalo's situation, the amount of prospects that they have, the young team that they have, like, do they even need another first-round pick right now? Or uh, can you see Kevin Adams maybe using this to, to add a big piece to his roster? I, I don't think he would discount that possibility. Uh, I still think they're going to make the pick at 13. It's not like it's 22 or 26 or something. Yeah, uh, They think they'll get another pretty good player to add to their stockpile, but he's listening on everything. He's certainly going to be looking to get a defenseman here at some point. And he, he has other picks in the second and third round. He's got assets like Victor Olison that he could use. So I, I think a lot of balls are in the air for Adams right now. And so I think the question, you know, on the back end is you, you have Owen Power, obviously, who, who's such a talented young player in Rasmus Dahlin. So when it comes to the profile of the defenseman they're looking for, what type of guy are they after, you, you think? Well, they're really looking for someone with a defensive bend, preferably on the right side. When you look at them, their top pair is Dahlin with Matias Samuelson. They want someone to play with power, mm-hmm. and they want to have those two pairs that really can – play a lot of minutes, and that'll really help their depth. It'll take Henry Yoki Haru back to the third pair with Ilya Labushkin, and that'll give them a pretty good top six, and that's what they're trying to find. They need that one more veteran guy. It's going to be tough 
to get someone in free agency to come to Buffalo. And I don't know they want to go term and dollars like that, but certainly they're into the trade market and seeing what they can find about it for a veteran guy. What's uh, what's a new contract for Rasmus Dahlin look like? I would think it's expensive. <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> it, it's gonna be eight eight eighty at minimum. You know, yeah. it might even be more than that. They know the cap's going up. It might it might be eight eighty eight. Um, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be quite big uh, for for Rasmus Dahlin, who is eligible for an extension this year. You, you mentioned uh, Owen Power a little bit earlier there, Mike, and um, you know every time I watched him, I came away impressed. You look at the numbers, and they kind of jump off the page, especially for yeah. for a rookie. Um, what did you make of watching this player real close, and uh, just you know how impressive it was to watch a rookie defenseman have that much success? Right, and they really developed a trust in him. The amount of minutes he played in all situations was something that blew me away. Some nights there were 25, 26, 27 minutes Mm -hmm. on his ledger, especially in the games later in the year where Samuelson was out with an injury. And Power looked every bit the idea of a number one overall pick in that season. And it was, uh, you know, a lot of experimentation here. He had never played in 82 game schedule before he hadn't traveled in the NHL. He'd certainly traveled internationally and such, but so a lot of the the rinks were new. A lot of the opponents were certainly new, but he's a great study of the game. He's a real hockey nerd. He's very aware of his shifts and what he needs to do on the ice to get better. He can, you know, I, I've talked to him a couple times too. And, you know, it's almost like a golfer reciting his shots in a round. He can talk about, well, and the shift I had in the first period, here's what happened in that shift. And, you know, I didn't close real well. And the coaching staff has often talked about that too. That He really has that ability to go through his shifts and learn. And that's something that's pretty incredible for a young guy. To me, it's just who are you going to have as Owen Powers' partner? And I just think a, a veteran defenseman to help stay at home a little would be a great thing to pair with Owen Powers. Well, I mean, it's one of those it's one of those teams where with Tage Thompson coming through the way he has having Dylan Cousins, and when you have Rasmus Dahlin and and, and you have a guy like Owen Power, it just looks like every single part of this organization is set. And maybe goaltending, and we'll see, you know, uh, whether Devin Levi is the guy or not, and and if they do, they solve that situation. But when you start looking and projecting long term, even though this season they missed the playoffs. How much enthusiasm is there in the market about what they might be building here, considering the foundation they have? Yeah, people are in, as enthused as they've been here in at least 10, 11 years. The playoff drought's 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and realistically, guys, they're just not that far away. Yeah, You know, they finished one point behind the Florida Panthers. And we know where the Florida Panthers just were. That's not to say the Sabres could have done the same thing, but if the Sabres had won April 4th in Florida instead of losing 2-1 to one in a game they had 40 shots on goal, the Florida Panthers wouldn't have been in the playoffs. Yeah, the Buffalo Sabres would have been. Yeah. So that's how close the margin is here in the NHL right now, and that's why the Sabres know they're building their team. And you know, Kevin Adams knows he's now a different kind of GM. He's more not just stockpiling prospects. He's building an NHL playoff team where their expectation must be to be in the playoffs and be competitive in them this year. Uh, 
Were you surprised that uh, Tage Thompson built on his 38 goal season? Uh, like, I, I won't lie to you, Mike. I was I, I was surprised when he had the big breakout year and was wondering if if he would be able to build on it. And uh, my gosh, there there was times this year where he was the most impressive player in the league, and the things that right. he can do is just um, I, I just you know kind of it kind of came out of nowhere a couple of years ago, and to think he's getting even better is pretty surprising. Yeah, when you have a guy six foot six, six seven who can do those kind of things at the puck, it, it's pretty amazing to watch. But ultimately, it comes down to Don Granado, the head coach, taking the chance, making the move, putting Tage Thompson in the middle, changed Tage Thompson's career, and gave them a number one center that they had essentially traded away when they traded Jack Eichel. Tage Thompson had more goals and more points this year than Jack Eichel has ever had in any NHL season to this point. So, um, that's a legitimate number one center in the NHL, a guy who scores 47 goals and has 94 points. And they expect even more from Tage Thompson. And Tage Thompson expects more. He felt he could have been a 50-55, 60-goal scorer this past year, but things slowed down a little in the second half for him. He had some injury problems, and he's looking to go from – he went from 38 to 47 goals. Mm-hmm. He certainly wants to be in the mid fifties towards 60 next year. That's where he, his expectations are. You mentioned, you mentioned Victor Olofsson, a guy that's been on the trade market. And I mean, you, you look at it and say, I mean, he looks like an organizational win, a guy that came through the ranks there being drafted in the seventh round and being such an impact player, scoring 20 goals, having 28 goals this past season. And we always hear his name on the trade market. Is that because a guy like Jack Quinn is kind of quietly being tagged as the next goal-scoring winger on this team long-term? Absolutely, and the next goal-scoring winger who can really be a power play guy. And I think Jack Quinn is more of an all-around player than Victor Olsen is, too. This year we saw Jack Quinn really working the wall very well, really using his body. And he, at the end of the year, he became a key penalty killer with Alex Tuck. Hmm. And Olsen isn't that kind of player. He's a little more one-dimensional. But there's going to be a market for Olsen because, like I say, people want guys who could shoot the puck, who could score 20 to 30 goals and help a power play. I Clearly, I circled you know, the Carolina Hurricanes or the kind of team that could use that guy. I'm not sure Victor Olsen is a Rod Brindamore kind mm-hmm. of player, but that's the kind of guy he can be for somebody out there. And I don't think there's going to be any shortage of teams interested, especially if the Sabres retain money. And I think the Sabres would have no problem retaining some of Victor Olsen's money for next year. It's one year left on a deal at 4.7. They can keep some of that to make it, to move him and get another asset back. Uh, before we let you go, uh, just a quick one on Tyson Jost. I mean, he's an RFA at, at the end of this year, but you know it's not going to be cheap to give him a contract. It'll be over like close to $2 million or so. Uh, are they going to qualify him, you think, and get him signed, or might, might he become a free agent? He, he might become a free agent. You know, just literally about three hours ago, they re-signed Zemgis Gergensen's mm-hmm. for one year and $2.5 million. So they've re-signed Gergensen's and Akpozo, and they want to have a couple a couple slots in this team available for guys to break through from Rochester after their big season. Olsen would be one spot. I think Tyson Jost might be a guy they say, look, we're going to offer you one year, but if you want more than that or think you get more than that, you can go about your way. And he, he, he gave them some things when they got him off waivers last year. His play kind of tailed off at the end of the year. So the Gergensen signing – couple hours ago makes it far less likely we see Tyson Jost in Buffalo next year. Mike, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. All right. Take care, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, there is uh, Mike Harrington mm-hmm. joining us here on Canucks Central. And uh, actually, uh, uh, 
covering the draft next week for the Buffalo Sabres. They've got the 13th overall selection, a couple of picks behind the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, and uh, it's one of those situations where, like you mentioned, they could trade the first-round pick. Yeah. But they're probably just sitting there looking at it and saying, eh, we don't need a lot of extra picks. We have so many. We've had so many picks. We have so many prospects. Kind of let's see what comes to us. At if number the, thirteen, uh, if the right you know player becomes available in trade, you know when we saw you know, the thirteenth overall pick go last year, mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's one of those picks that teams will move. You know it's not high enough that you're getting that top ten talent, but still something that a lot of teams around the league are probably looking at and like, yeah, there's a guy in our top ten that we we're. Uh, that is still out there and available. Maybe we want that 13th pick. And the thing is when you're Buffalo and you have as many young players on your roster and you still have so many coming, I mean, like, okay, you know, they have Jack Quinn, they have JJ Paterka, they have all these guys that are just trying to crack the roster and still coming. You know, Noah Oslin, who they took yeah. last year, a couple picks after, after Vancouver selected Lecker Mackey, Yuri Kulik, somebody they still have Matthew Savoy, another player that's on their books, uh, you know, and in, in their organization, they have just so many yeah. that uh, still hasn't even graduated to the NHL level. Well, you, you can have too many prospects. What happens is you don't have enough room for well, them. That's how the Canucks ended up with Josh Bloom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're in a position where they won't have enough opportunities to develop players. Like yes. you, you can't put a, a player too good for the ECHL and the ECHL and expect them to be happy about it. You yeah. know what I mean? And there's certain things you could do perhaps, but how much, how many resources do you have and how many spots do you have where you can truly help develop that many players? There's only so many you can do. What do you do with the excess? You trade them. You should yeah. be looking to trade a number of them. And I think that's kind of the, the stage where Buffalo's at right now, where, they can do just about anything they want yep. as long as they're not touching their core guys and they can be, be involved in anything they want. It's just what type of player are you looking for? Well, Dan, they're looking for the same thing Vancouver's looking for, a good defensive right-hand defenseman. <laughs> good luck. Godspeed. Godspeed. Those guys are uh, a little tough to find. Does Matt Dumba fit into that conversation anymore? I think he does. I think he does. I don't think he does. What do in you terms pay of... Matt Dumba? He used to be a guy, you know, with the bomb on the point and could score a little bit, but he hasn't been that guy for a while. <sighs> I, mean, I max four. Yeah. I could see maybe somebody gives him three at, at 12, four million per year. I can see somebody do that. He gets a good Branson type of deal. He's yeah. not the same size and profile, but he's a righty defenseman that, you know, can play on the PK, can play on the power play, can do a lot of different things for you, premium position. He really struggled this past year, though, on a yeah. good Minnesota team. Yeah. Really struggled this year. Yeah, and that's a question you know you kind of wonder about. So there isn't risk where it comes. There isn't. Uh, it doesn't come without risk. Mm-hmm. But still, always tough when it gets to free agency. But he is one of those right shot options, uh, Matt Dumba as well. Um, one thing I did want to mention with uh, with Mike Harrington, and uh, I'll be honest, it slipped my mind. What's that? Alex McGillney getting into the Hall of Fame potentially tomorrow. The hockey, time. the hockey Hall of Fame uh, class will be announced tomorrow. There is uh, speculation, there is want that uh, McGillney gets in. And, I mean, I, I don't know. How many people in Vancouver have already been on this? It, fe- it feels like so many hockey people, except for those making the decision at the Hockey Hall of Fame, have been on the Alex McGillney train and yet he remains on the outside of the Hockey Hall of Fame 
looking in. Even just, you know, the guy won what, three cups uh, through his career. I think he was on all those New Jersey teams or a couple of those New Jersey teams that won cups. He was on uh, one New Jersey team right. that won a Stanley Cup, I believe. Uh, so he won a cup and played or two. In... They went back to back cups, anyways. Uh, he won. He won cups, <laughs> scored a bunch, <laughs> defected from Russia. Was the yeah. first to defect from Russia. Like that story that has come out of from Vancouver, where you know Mike Keenan was doing one of his uh, crazy things and like yelling at the players, yeah. and he's like. You think you're gonna scare me? Yeah, say my word. Sit down there, Mike. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Mike. I'm good. You're not gonna intimidate me, Mike. Uh, but you know, like I mean, the guy's just got the resume, so it's it's about time he gets in. No, I know, and you know what? Like, he should get in because of him just leaving, defecting the way he did. Yeah. To come to North America, given he paved the way for a bunch of them. He did, man. Like, and what he had to go through to get here, and and what he did, that alone, and not to mention he scored 473 goals in the NHL. And I get at no point outside of the 76 goal season, which he shared with Timu, they both had 76 goals that year, which yeah. was pretty remarkable. Um, but outside of that, like, I guess he was never considered the best at his position. Like he was always kind of considered one of the better ones, but like kind of maybe a slight tier below the super, like the, the, the greatest of the great that were kind of at, playing at that, at that time. Well, so people I think, don't love him. Be- well, a lot of people th- felt he, uh, you know, he left some on the table. Like, there was nights he took off. Oh, yeah, sure. Mario did that, too. Right? A lot of players do that. Uh, just a had, lot of players in the hall did that. Yeah. Uh, just had the one cup with the uh, New Jersey Just Devils. one. Yeah, he lost. Uh, I think they lost in the cup in yeah. 99 one. Or uh, 01. They won in 2000, lost in 01. Yeah. yeah and still had, like, you know, I, I remember watching him. And it's funny because when I moved here and started talking to some people and even people, you know, you... Geez, who didn't love watching McGilney in his first year with the Vancouver Canucks? I mean, I I would fire up NHL '97, and that would be that would be like my the the team you wanted to play with. It's like turn off line changes and you play with Mess, Beret, and McGilney. Now, obviously, it all went to poop because Messier was no good and Beret wanted out. Yeah, but but nonetheless, in a video game setting, it was awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> McGilney was always uh, a go-to of mine in the '90s on video games. Even if you know you. You you were working with your K Lume as your your top guy on on the back end, but it he was an incredible player. And you talk to players later on as I got into this career, and it's like, well, McGillney was one of the like the most talented player mm-hmm. I ever played with. Yeah, and you would hear the same things uh, in, in Toronto that I've now heard here in in Vancouver, where it's like, yeah, Mats was on the team, but like McGillney was just nuts. Yeah, he was the best player. There was a different <laughs> level. Yeah, and he's the only guy I think in in Mats's uh, Sundin's entire. Leafs career where you know, McGillney w- actually beat him in points. Yeah. You know? So it's just like he is another level of player. And considering what he meant to the game and defecting, it's about time he gets in. But uh, the only obvious choice I think we know of that's going in tomorrow is Henrik Lundqvist. Yeah. He's the uh, most obvious one. Um, and I mean, I think that's a no brainer as well. You know, on, on, on quickly on McGillney, yeah. McGillney and Kovalev, Alexei Kovalev. Yeah. Kovalev, I think, I think Kovalev is who people accuse McGillney of being. <laughs> now, if you want to talk about who left some, some yeah. meat on the bone, it was Kovalev. Cause yeah. if he wanted to, he could have dominated and he was incredible, but he had his moments, right? But I love that Alexei Kovalev. Anyway, go with Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, Alexei Kovalev, man, you get me on a, on a absolute 
rabbit hole thinking about Alexei Kovalev. Favorite Alexei Kovalev moment? Uh, well, I loved watching that shooting video that he like that. Oh yeah, that was on YouTube. That was fantastic. Just like this guy's nuts, man. So good, and he had some massive years with those Penguins teams, and a player you love to watch. Uh, Alexei Kovalev. A lot of those Russian players were so much fun to watch because of what they could do with the puck and how much offense they had in their games. But yes, you are right. McGillney is kind of like the guy that people <laughs> accuse Alexei Kovalev of being. Uh, that wasn't so much McGillney, not in the same way. Henrik Lundqvist, not very often you get a first ballot goaltender, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, but there is no question the King goes in, even without a Stanley Cup to his name, potentially a Canucks coach going in as well. Sergey Gonchar could go yeah. in tomorrow. And, I mean, I think Gonchar deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think of Gonchar, I think of Hall of Fame defensemen. Yeah. Like, to me, Gonchar was always, like, one of the best defensemen in the game. And and I think his game was also underrated. Because I also think he was kind of brushed with the oh, r- offensive Russian defenseman. All he is is a power play savant. And it's like, no. He's he's actually really good defensively. Yeah. And he, there are a lot of things he's really and good at. And he had to be later in his career. Yes, he did. He absolutely had to be. He was relied upon to be that yeah. shutdown guy. And he, and he was excellent at doing it. And now, he grew into things, obviously, and, and got better as his career went on. But I'd be hard-pressed at any point of his prime where you could name five defensemen better than Sergei Gonchar in his prime. You'd be hard pressed to name five. And if you're oh, top man. five for like a decade at your position, not that fantasy draft should be a barometer for how you judge hall of fame players, <laughs> but is there a fantasy draft you went into where you're like, Sergei Gonchar isn't one of the first defensemen off the board. Well, he has to be because you knew you banked on 50 points every year, whether he was with Washington or Pittsburgh guy dominated. It's like 50 to 60 points. Yeah. So it uh, could be a little bit of a Russian contingent and hopeful that Alex McGilney gets in for tomorrow's Hall of Fame class. Windsor uh, in Coquitlam. No goalie talk about the Sabres? Are they rolling with Levi next year? I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I think they are. And, and you know, and we, they still we have asked, Comrie as well on the books. Yeah. And we, we asked about what they were looking to do. And, you know, really, is defenseman is a big priority for them. Like, I think they have Comrie. And I think they're big game hunting if they do goaltending. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like, hey, let's see if Levi's our guy. Let's see if we, these guys are our guys. And if not, then they're kind of maybe they wade into one of the bigger names available. Did he go knock on Yusei Saros' door, potentially, depending on where Nashville goes in a year's time? Yeah. You know, if Vancouver went sideways, for instance, I could see them come knocking at Vancouver's door and being like, what does it take to take Demko off your hands? That's kind of the market that I see them playing in if they go goaltending-wise. Otherwise, like, why overpay on a position when you have a couple guys who've shown you a little something at least? Yeah. it's. Uh, I would not overpay for the goaltender, especially when you have two young guys with yeah. a, as much talent as they do in both Devin Levi and uh, Uka Pekalukanen. Um. Okay, before we go, the NFL is finding it hard to find a team that's willing to do hard knocks. Yeah. I, mean, I was it's... wondering when this day was going to come. <laughs> I mean, every team's done it now, essentially. Has, hasn't every team done it? Well, Pretty not, much... never, no, it hasn't been on for 32 years, so I think there's still teams that haven't done it. A, a lot of teams have done it. I think they, they did have a clause in the contract where there's like four teams they can force to do it. Right. And all four of those teams have like pushed back against wanting to do it. Right. So th- this would legitimately be them forcing the Washington Commanders or the New York Jets to do this. And do you really want 
to force a team to do it? Are you going to get the access if you force a team to do this? Kind of. I think, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where... I've NFL, lost my love for, for hard knocks for a while now. Same, but clearly there is an appetite for it. Yeah. Right? And I think more than anything, the NFL wants to be accessible and have that type of content. Yeah. And... I think if you if you stop if if it has, it has to be that or all or nothing or something right like yeah I think this has come to be expected you can't take it away from the game Josh you want your Minnesota Vikings on Hard Knocks I I was gonna say I feel like people are only invested now if it's their team <laughs> and like if the Vikings were on yeah I would I would be watching it but aside from that this I'm is true watch it. Uh, would you want the Bills on Hard Knocks Elon. I would love it as a fan, but yeah. I kind of don't want to mess up the the team, you know, have all that public access. Well, I mean, you always there's always stuff that gets like you're kind of like what a little bit. I mean, my favorite moment for the Browns one was when they had uh, <laughs> they uh, man and uh, <laughs> Hugh Jackson was such a like, they were like they were showing like the GM uh, the coaching meetings and stuff yes. like that and literally like the coaches looking at each other side eyeing him and being like what is this moron doing <laughs> like it, it was pretty bad they asked him a basic question and it was it was like very cringe you're like oh this is a very unhealthy dynamic yes. this is a very unhealthy dynamic they, they don't respect you as a head coach so when i uh back in my younger years when i used to be a dolphins fan i remember when it was joe philbin as the oh, dolphins yeah. coach and after watching one episode, I was like, man, I have never been so out on a coach in my entire life. Yes. We are going to fail. This season's a write-off. And I, I knew it. As soon as I watched it, I'm like, this man's drinking prune juice? What is happening? <laughs> That's when you know. <laughs> this guy's like 78. He can't coach a football team. Oh, man. So, yes, it, it can go pretty poorly. They'll never match the, like, Vince Wilfork in the, uh, in the overalls level of fun that we had with hard knocks way back in the day or the rex ryan the rex ryan that was good him and sanchez him and uh the bromance with uh mark sanchez (laughs) the tattoo yeah (laughs) i wouldn't mind detroit lions they said uh again well they they said they want to campbell they want to run it back with the lions reportedly yeah i mean dan campbell was great he was entertaining and he was real i think you know what i thought the lions were the best hard knocks in sense of in recent years, yeah, and because like they were real and it wasn't awkward at all. Like even the, the OC and the uh, DC going head to head, and you know all the kind of internal battles they had and everything. But it was kind of like still all in fun. I don't yeah. know. I was kind of impressed with just how the lines looked overall. Uh, we'll see what happens with Hard Knocks, but they're having a hard time. And, and you know what? This is something the NHL would struggle with if they had any kind of a similar show. How many teams are willing to actually do this? And allow that kind of access. I mean, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it for the Canucks. Like, right now, like, you know, All or Nothing has gone through Man City. They've been with Tottenham. They've been yep. Arsenal. Like, I want to see Chelsea All or Nothing. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see it. Probably not going to happen. Probably not. Chelsea's uh, getting some uh, some luck with uh, who wants to buy all their players. But Listen, that's... I don't hate the game. Don't, don't hate the player. Hate the game. Yeah, no kidding. And people keep coming after Juventus. I don't get it. Well... Uh, but- just sell players. Don't don't <laughs> don't buy off officials. Don't fudge the books. <laughs> yeah, don't okay. fudge the books. <laughs> All right, All that's right. enough for today. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, producers Josh and Elon, always doing a great job. You've been listening to Canuck Central.